Hi, and thanks everyone for joining us for today's Thought Leadership Interview Podcast. I'm Nicole O'Brien, third-party risk officer here at Benminder, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Jen Wilkinson. Jen is Vice President of Strategic Vendor Management at Senlar FSB. She spent over 20 years working at PHH Mortgage, where she enjoyed a variety of roles in vendor management, corporate client, and private label operations. And the second half of her time at PHH was spent building out a robust and compliant third-party risk and vendor management function. I actually started working at PHH after Jen left and, has, and so much of what I learned about third-party risk management came from being able to reap the benefits of the program that she helped build. Jen joined Senlar in 2015 to oversee the operational vendor management department. She went on to successfully establish Senlar's TPRM program and was promoted to vice president of third-party risk management and then subsequently took the responsibility of strategic vendor management function with a newly formed procurement department. And that role allows Jen to apply third-party risk management practices at the onset of new vendor relationships, as well as when changes occur. She has a bachelor's degree in communications from Rowan University and is an active member of the ABA third-party risk group and Venminder's third-party think tank. She's previously spoken at ABA's 2018 National Compliance Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, and for the Philadelphia chapter of ISACA on the importance of a third-party risk management program. She enjoys networking with other third-party risk management practitioners and sharing best practices when she isn't on the beach. Hopefully you've been able to do a lot of that <laughs> lately. <laughs> so, Finally. Needless to say, yeah, we're thrilled to have you, Jen. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very flattered to be here. Third party yeah. risk is, is a topic near and dear to my heart, as you well know. Of course. So why don't we jump in? And that kind of rolls me into the next question. Uh, how do you think overall organizations are doing with third party risk? You're kind of a pioneer. You've been doing this since <laughs> long before many people thought they even needed to consider it. So how are we doing? Yeah. So I, I, and I think it really depends on the industry as well as the organization, right? So I know for financial institutions and regulated in entities, things are going well. Most people can say that they have some sort of program. The degree of robustness really relates to the amount of support um, that they're getting from their executive management team or leadership team um, to build it out to, you know, something that really holds up against best practices. Um, mm -hmm. So the support of the organization could be lacking versus another organization, and that's a little frustrating. Um, but I'm very fortunate in that third-party risk management gets a lot of support from the executive leadership team at SEMLAR. I think that they really appreciate the value of the program, not just for the, the bank itself, but for our clients. Um, that's kind of a big difference is that the program that you know I created with um, my team at PHH as well as at SEMLAR is we are servicing loans for clients. Um, so it's not just mm -hmm. our customers, we're sharing those customers with other people. So I think that's a big difference. I mean, I still see a lot of questions on the think tank and, and other sites that I follow that, that show that there is some organizations that are still in the infancy um, of the TPRM program. Um, but it's great that they're associated and networking with the right people. I think the interesting part of being in third-party risk is that as professionals, we, we kind of all band together. There's no degree in third-party risk management, right? That you can come out of right. college all fresh and shiny and get a job. Um, so mm -hmm. we really depend on each other and support each other through these networking groups um, to share best practices so people are able to make decisions for what works best for their business. So, you know, it's, it's good. It's nice to be part of a collaborative group professionally. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it can't be done in a vacuum. And it's so complex that you really do benefit from getting that outside input for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so from your perspective, you'd say that generally speaking, when there's regulations out that say this needs to be done, companies and in those industries are, are adapting pretty well as long as they have the resources and support. And now we're starting to maybe see some of the other industries slowly but surely trickling along. Yes, yep, exactly. Excellent. Uh, well, you had the huge task of building your own third-party risk management program pretty much from the ground up, right? So can you kind of share some more about the steps that you took and maybe some challenges that you had to get through and tips to share for other people or companies that are trying to do the same thing right now? Sure. Um, you know, I was lucky that I had a supportive team that kind of gave me the reins to say, how do we do this, right? So the first step um, is to really identify the scope of your vendor portfolio and then start to identify the categories that those vendors are going to fall into. Um, you don't just rely on the business units to provide a list of who they think all their vendors are. Um, I did a lot of work with the accounts payable department to identify the lion's share of who's being paid by the organization and why. Um, and then I worked to find out um, from our third-party security assurance and information security team, you know, what of those vendors have access to data and, and how is that being managed? Um, when I started to build out at SEMAR, I worked very closely with the heads of compliance and information security to build out a, risk, a materiality risk assessment um, so that we could first identify, you know, what vendors are really material and in scope that need some sort of due diligence as opposed to you know, the people that deliver paper to a loading dock or a caterer, um, and then really figure out out of those vendors, what makes them critical? Who poses the most risk? And how are we going to measure that to quantify and stratify our entire vendor portfolio? And then to apply what requirements, right? What are we going to do once we figure out who's really important, who might, who's medium risk important, and who's low risk important? So, you know, I think the first step is to identify the scope and, and how you're going to determine whether a vendor is material to third-party risk or it's non-material, and then figure out what your risk tiers will be, and then ensure that they're aligned properly in the organization. Um, once you're there, you can determine, you know, the due diligence and the ongoing monitoring um, review cycle. So there's certain things that you're doing monthly, there's certain things that you're doing annually, there's certain vendors that you may not be looking at annually, but you need to determine what that frequency is for the materiality or for the material vendors, excuse me. And then of course, as you're doing all of that, you've got to build out your policy and program documents <laughs> so that you can yeah. ensure that, you know, all that oversight that you're doing by vendors, by category is accurate and comprehensive. Um, so right. It's definitely, it's definitely, you know, a few baby steps in the beginning and then you get this you know vast list of vendors and you kind of have to categorize them and look at them you know what's operational you know for for Sunmar for me it's it's who's helping us service loans those are who were really the high touch you know vendors that I started with and then it was okay what is technology doing who do they have in their scope what's you know the, the corporate vendors your HR processes you know the things that aren't necessarily required to service a loan which is our core um, business um, but obviously, they have access to employee data and things like that, so we had to apply um, things to them from a requirement perspective. There's never going to be a cookie cutter for every vendor to fall into. So you're a vendor. Right. You like, it's just you've got to really customize your program to make sure that you have specific requirements for different segments. So, you know, for us as a mortgage subservicer, we have a att default attorney network. 
and they have specific yeah. requirements related to GSEs that we have to cover. Um, technology mm -hmm. vendors, we have a software architecture review that has to happen um, before they're onboarded or if anything changes. Um, you know, so you, you've got to make sure that they're either all covered or they're specifically carved out so that you can demonstrate to the regulators what you're doing and who you're applying it to and then who aren't you applying it to in case they have that question. Um, you know, and one of the biggest things that I really want to stress is when, when people say, like, I build a department from scratch, I got lucky. I got to hire a fantastic team. I got to hire people who really were interested in this whole concept of third-party risk, who wanted to write out procedures, who were excited about, you know, hey, we have these vendors. What, do, what should we do to them? You know, how do they, how do they get fit into the program? Um, we had very limited training material, and I will say that we all attended the Zenminders Boot Camp program, and from there, built up our program. So I, I continue to pay attention <laughs> to guidance from Brandon and Gordon and your team um, to make sure that my program aligns with best practices. So, you know. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, it is. There's, like I said, there's no college degree. There's no resources. But once you kind of find someone who gets it the way you need it to get it, um, you know, you want to stand your program up to their best practices. So um, your big challenges, you know, in building some of that's going to be resources, subject matter efforts, um, experts, excuse me, who have the bandwidth to support your program. Um, and then, you know, you really got to show the value of that program. Like you have to um, demonstrate to business owners, you know, what's in it for them? Why should they yeah. understand and, and, and help us practice third-party risk management? So when they don't understand the value you bring, they're not going to prioritize your role in the process. And that can be a really big roadblock depending on the type of vendors that are being overseen by that specific business entity. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of really, really good points there with, you know, how to prioritize in the beginning with the critical vendors, the fact that you went to more than just the people who have the contracts, but, you know, the, the areas in charge of letting data out of your organization and, and what really needs to be looked at right away all the way to, you know, making sure you're selling your process and, and scoping what vendors count, which don't for your program. Those are all really important things. And I appreciate the feedback. Um, so we understand you use a software solution and, and I know that has to help in doing all the things that you mm -hmm. do, right? Uh, in the third party risk management process. Can you tell us a bit about uh, how it does assist you and how much you feel it's adjusted like the allocation of resources for TPRM? Uh, yes, sure. Um, we do use a software so solution. Um, it serves as our master inventory and archive for our ongoing okay. monitoring and due diligence efforts. Um, it automates our due diligence process. So I, instead of having people typing up long emails, there's a templated email that will go to the provider that the due diligence requirements get scoped into based on the materiality and risk. And then they are automated to the vendor via email. The vendor can go in and answer questionnaires upload documentation, et cetera, and then return it to us. And the system is configured. Um, so upon upload, you know, if you provide financials, they will be routed to a financial SME. If you um, upload your compliance program documentation, it gets routed to our compliance um, team to review. And they're able to access the system, find out, you know, what services we obtain from the vendor, um, and, and do a review of that documentation, and then they can disposition it. So they can approve it, no, no problem. They can Pend it, meaning they don't have enough information and they may add, you know, return questions to the vendor. 
that they're waiting on a response to, or they can reject it and say it's insufficient and provide enough detail for, you know, our analysts to be able to communicate with the vendor and say, you know, we need more information or this isn't satisfactory and, you know, then take the next step from there. Um, so it's, it's worked very well with, for us. Um, the tool that we use um, actually was um, uh, had other modules created for other areas within the organization. So um, we've got issues management, we've got compliance and RCSA who all have a customized module in the same software. And the nice thing about that is those modules can link things to a vendor. So if I have a vendor that has specific regulatory compliance things that have to be associated to them, we can link that together through the system and we use that as part of our due diligence. And, and when things happen, um, you know, we can obviously pick and tie those things to make sure that there's a control in place that is applicable not just to the business unit, but being applied consistently to the vendor as well. So it's yeah, a that's really helpful. Favor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say to maybe someone who's considering but not really ready to jump to a software? I've had to do it. I mean, I've had to do it with spreadsheets exclusively. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand that pain. But I know there's plenty of uh, organizations out there. It's a major jump, right? You're putting a lot of your processes exactly. in the software. What would what would your advice be there? <laughs> um, so I have two pieces of advice. We had a consultant that helped us um, with our, our, our selected tool. And they helped us with the implementation. And it was a lot of long and tedious meetings, but it was this is what we do today, this is what we want it to do in this tool, this is how we want things configured. Um, and they could, you know, quite quite frankly, quickly tell us, yes, we can do that, no, we can't do that. Um, it was definitely, and I've heard this in a lot of the conferences and the networking, it was definitely not just an out-of-the-box solution. It was highly configurable, and you want that. Because depending on what your industry is, you know, there's certain things that we get asked about a lot of clients that I need to very quickly be able to pull in. Um, and so this system allows us to pull those things in and have flags and loans. So if I have to I, if I have to locate, you know, what vendors are in a disaster area coming up, I can do that at the push of a button. If I have to, you know, pull a report that shows all um, due diligence assessments that have been sent out that are not returned yet, I can, I can get all of those things reported on what vendor you use for parties. I mean, we have a lot of um, yeah. Questions about fourth party oversight, right? So I get critical oh, yeah. fourth parties to our third parties that can capture those names as well. So if negative news happen to come up and people go, well, that's not one of our vendors, I go, but is it one of our fourth party vendors? <laughs> you know, right. Party yeah, that's a big um, deal. And, and without yeah. a software, it's so tough to track all of that. And, and that's one thing I tell people too is, you know, if you're starting to do this by on your own, get as many data elements as you can. Like, because you're right, you have to report any random detail to your internal clients, your mm -hmm. external clients, to your regulators, to the CEOs. Uh -huh. I mean, there's people ask, you know, you're kind of expected to know so many different things right. as the right. vendor risk manager, right? Right, and I, and I tell my guys all the time, you know, just get their critical relationships. I said, I, obviously I care about all of the fourth party relationships, but I wanna first see who do they deem as critical and why, and then we can upload that information. Um, you know, just uh, in the earlier stages of the pandemic, one of our critical third-party providers had a critical fourth-party provider who had a like newsworthy breach. And mm. it was so funny because I found I found out about the breach. I started investigating the breach. I got the first round of feedback about the breach, and I was reviewing it with our third-party security assurance team. Um, you know, privacy. Everybody just trying to to assess and, and keep everybody informed of what we're what was going on and boom 
the OCC email came in to say, hey, do you guys use this vendor? Did you hear about this? Yeah. So what are you really doing? Are looking, right? and, I, and I could do that because I was monitoring those critical fourth parties. Um, but yeah, I think the tool is, I mean, so important and it, it really does help um, serve as that archive. You know, I can tell, um, I could tell you when a vendor, you know, the, they went from cloud to not cloud, when they've changed service, services get added, I can track my team and see who input that information and things like that. Um, and the reporting is really phenomenal. As long as it's a reportable field, you can kind of cut and slice and dice your network and, and you know, get a lot of information very quickly that if you're not using one, it's going to take you hours of effort. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with what you mentioned about the breach and the pandemic and whatnot, do you think that in light of recent current events with COVID-19, uh, that the industry is going to kind of change uh, as far as third-party risk management goes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, let, let me just clarify, too, in case any of our clients are listening to our podcast, the breach did not affect us at all. <laughs> it was the name of that vendor. It was not the division that did any of our work. So I just want to lay that out. Yeah, I don't want to cause panic. But you were on top of it network. anyway. You were on top of it. I'm proud of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for the pandemic, I mean, obvious, for obvious reasons, we suspended all travel for due diligence. And, you know, right. I, I really, I hope that that's not going to be forever because I really do find those visits valuable, especially for the critical vendors. Is There's nothing like going into a shop and kicking the tires of, of the services and, and where your stuff is being handled, right? Um, but the good part of that is because my team was frequently traveling, they were very well equipped to work remotely with very little disruption. So we've had a few vendors ask for a little more time, um, you know, to get due diligence responses and things into us that were scheduled for, you know, March and April. Um, and we've been able to accommodate that. So, you know, a vendor who's not able to meet those kind of requests within three or four months is going to raise a flag. Like, how are you surviving? What, what is your plan? Um, you know, we did, as things were progressing in early March, um, send out a uh, request for updated pandemic docs to the entire operational mm -hmm. network because we wanted to be able to really do a scan and then get them to the business owners. Um, I think sometimes the business owners are, have a peripheral awareness that they have one, but they're not necessarily familiar with it. We kind of drove that mm -hmm. and, and gave updates up to our executive management team of any vendor whose response didn't really meet muster um, or any vendor that we were having a hard time. And in turn, any business owner that really didn't say, Yes, I've read it. No, I don't have concerns. I'm good. Um, so that was one of the things that we did. But I think in so many ways, you know, we were able to go remote and we're able to continue to deliver services to our clients and their customers in a, in a, in a strong manner. And I think part of that is really being a partner to our vendors as well, right? Everybody's got the same challenges. Um, in some cases where we have lower risk thresholds for a vendor who proactively reaches out and says that they're having some challenges. Um, but these these things may impact their SLA, but that SLA is not necessarily tied to a regulatory or compliance um, factor where it would increase our risk. You know, in some cases, we're waiving mm -hmm. some penalties and saying, you know, okay, what can you meet? Like, where are we going so that we can stay proactive and make sure that we're making, you know, risk-based decisions um, in partnership with the vendor? Um, or what, what is it that we need to do as a company, right, to, to get the work done um, or, and maybe even move the work. So we've done some of that as well. We've moved some work um, when India shut down, um, you know, just to make sure that, that, that the critical components of that work were not going to be impacted 
um, because of that. So, you know, the other thing I hear yeah. is people, people have always talked about sharing the due diligence reviews. So like, you know, Sunlar and Roundpoint and a bunch of subservices to get together and share and do one assessment of a shared vendor. And I suppose mm -hmm. for some industries it could work. I'm not a huge fan. I feel like as a, as a mortgage subservicer, our, our clients rely on us to ensure that the third parties that we choose are, you know, not only performing the way that we need them to, but that, that the business internally is appropriately managing them. Um, and that, you know, everything meets Senlar muster. And I don't kind of want to lump us all into a, you know, a, a bank where we're all looking at the same and it becomes more of a cookie cutter check the box process. Because I really think you need to independently review some of your more critical vendors to make sure that your needs are being met. So, you know, and I think I always used to say this to you, you always trust but verify. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, and it sounds I, like I want to do have, that myself. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of awesome extra layers to your program. Everything from making sure you're holding the lines of business accountable for their responsibility in managing a vendor, like not just relying on your department to do all of that, but also tying them into it. And it seems like you really are, you know, have the ability to fruitfully assess any given vendor. Like you said, I, I understand sometimes where some organizations want to share resources when it comes to maybe sister companies that can share and due diligence reviews because they simply don't have the capacity to do all the assessments themselves. And you seem like you're kind of on the other end of that spectrum where you feel that that would lessen the quality of the assessments that you're already doing for your vendors. I do. I, I agree with that. I, I really feel that there's a better outcome when you're doing hands-on because you know you know who in your business you need to get information from and, and you know you can ask questions of um, as well as at the vendor level and I don't think that every vendor treats every client the same as well so I don't you know I want to make sure that Semlar is a priority um, and I'm not sharing my information <laughs> with competitors yeah. just because we're in the same industry so uh, you know that's that it always trust to verify and and I feel like you know in times like this kindness counts but you obviously have to make sure that you have solid exit strategies that you have um, maybe backup right. vendors, you know, and you can load balance volume where you need to. I mean, all of these things are really important and part of the guidance that we always give to the business owners and our risk people. Jen, every time I talk to you, you impress me with just how much you know your stuff. And I always learn from you. And I think that's absolutely great. And thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. I'm a dinosaur, but I'm a flattered dinosaur. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, it's great. Uh, you, you really, you've, you've accomplished so much and you really are what I consider a pioneer of third-party risk management. And, and I saw that evidence in just how much I learned from kind of following in your footsteps and, and being able to see the program you had left behind. Uh, I really did learn a lot in, in how to do what I do today. So I, I appreciate it. Um, Aww, anything you. else you want to share? But otherwise, I mean, I've, it's been great having you. Oh, thank you. I love I love everything that you guys are putting out from a guidance perspective. I highly recommend you to other professionals that I talk to if they're ever looking <laughs> for assistance. So I think it's been a very good professional relationship. And I, and I really appreciate you guys reaching out and giving me the opportunity to talk today. Absolutely. Likewise. Um, yeah, and I guess that wraps it up for today. Uh, huge thanks again, Jen, Vice President of Strategic Vendor Management at Senlar. We hope you all enjoyed today's Thought Leadership interview podcast, and please be on the lookout for more of these interviews in the future.